Welcome to Regenerative Farmers of America podcast. So I am new to sheep. I've never heard what a micron was before I reached out to my local fiber shed. Tell me a little bit about like how someone would even go down the road. Like let's say they haven't even bought sheep. How do we go about understanding like what's going to really create a quality and a value so that when they go through all the effort of getting it milled and pushing out the other end, how are we set up for success? Okay. So what I normally tell people is it's not just like one cut and dry answer for every person. You know, the main thing is before you get started or just purchase a sheep or an alpaca and get started, you need to know like, what is your goal and what is your purpose of raising these animals? Are they just going to be for, you know, lawn ornament pets and you just want something that's easy to maintain? Or do you actually want to produce a product and promote your farm using those products? Um, you know, so it really depends. Um, micron is something that you brought up. Um, that's just like a small fraction of what goes into choosing a good fiber and what you want to um, do with your fibers. So micron count is basically just everyone. I am so excited today. We have Ashley from Blue Mountain Farms and she is here to help educate the sweet idiots like me who said, I want to get into sheep. I love regenerative agriculture. I'm excited. And now I have this wool. What is a micron? What do I do? How did I get here? <laughs> so Ashley, if you want to just tell us a little bit about your farm and your mill operation, and then we'll start getting into navigating animal to fleece. <laughs> All right. Well, my name is Ashley and um, my mom and I kind of started the fiber mill aspect of Blue Mountain Farms um, back in 2014. Um, we were raising animals. We got really involved with um, the natural fibers uh, growing up in 4-H. My whole family was very involved in 4-H and we just loved, you know, sheep to shawl, rabbit to scarf contests and you know, we were raising the animals for fiber, sending it off for processing. Um, my grandmother had a yarn shop and um, we started incorporating our own fibers and yarn uh, collection in the yarn store that she had. Um, so then we decided, you know, we have all this fiber, we're sending it off for processing, you know, we're doing everything else. Why don't we start a mill? You know, there's definitely a need for it. Um, because, you know, there aren't as many around. So that's kind of how we started. I went to um, Delaware Valley College and I was majoring in agribusiness. And in my classes, we had to put together like a mock business plan. So I was like, well, can I do it on a real business? So we all worked together, um, put together our business plan, purchased our equipment. Uh, we hoarded a lot of fiber. Um, practiced on all of our own fibers for quite a while because um, I'd rather mess up with my fiber than someone else's. Um, learned all the ins and outs and what we were doing. And then once we worked out all the kinks, uh, then we started to accept 
fibers in October of that year. Um, and we've been processing ever since. So our big thing is that we're always looking for new things to introduce and trying to utilize everything, which I think is a very big thing in agriculture. Um, trying to create little waste and using all of your resources in order to make everything work. Um, so that's what we're really big on here. That is quite an endeavor, right? So a startup <laughs> to a mill, I assume, is not cheap. Do you have a ballpark of like what that startup cost is for all that equipment and everything going in? It really depends um, as far as costs. Like we got our machinery all um, at a used rate. Um, and the company that we got our equipment from is no longer manufacturing their equipment. Um, so you can't really get it from them anymore. It's definitely gone up since we've purchased it. Um, so you can sometimes get deals. Sometimes there's a mill selling out. You know, you can purchase it new. There are different companies that are still making uh, milling equipment, but it is like several hundred thousand dollars for to have prepped as a startup because not only do you need the equipment, but you also need a building. Um, you also need township approval within your area. Um, so it's a long process. We actually, when we started, we purchased our equipment and stored it in a trailer and hoped for the best before we even had the approval from our township. So everything worked out and stars aligned, thankfully, but uh, we just went on full faith that everything was going to work. So I, I think that's great because, you know, you really kind of do have to hope and wing in a prayer and then like you keep investing in the infrastructure. And so I was about to, I think, uh, uh it, it's so sad because I am seeing a whole lot of mills go up for sale in that equipment. I start panicking what's going to happen to it. And, you know, so it's really great that you guys were at least able to bring it back to life and give it a second wave. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is concerning and there's definitely the work out there, but with the work, you know, it's also a job. So it's not easy. And there's a lot of different tasks that go on throughout the day. Um, like I was telling you earlier, um, you never really know what your job title for the day might be. It's not just feeding the fiber in the machines and then boom, you have beautiful yarn. Um, you know, you have maintenance that you have to do. So you might have to be a mechanic for the day, an electrician, you know, janitor, everything needs cleaned. And, you know, so it's a lot of planning, preparation, maintenance that goes along with the I'm playing with fiber for the day. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all cute baby doll sheep and making sweaters at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So I am new to sheep. I've never heard of what a micron was before I reached out to my local fiber set. Tell me a little bit about like how someone would even go down the road. Like let's say they haven't even bought sheep. How do we go about understanding like what's going to really create a quality and a value so that when they go through all the effort of getting it milled and pushing out the other end, how are we set up for success? Okay. So what I normally tell people is it's not just like one cut and dry answer for every person. You know, the main thing is before you get started or just purchase a sheep or an alpaca and get started, you need to know like, what is your goal and what is your purpose of raising these animals are they just going to be for you know lawn ornament pets and you just want something that's easy to maintain or do you actually want to produce a product and promote your farm using those products um you know so it really depends um micron is something that you brought up um 
that's just like a small fraction of what goes into choosing a good fiber and what you want to um, do with your fibers. So micron count is basically just, you know, you'll have different, different fibers have different micron counts. So like a finer fiber is going to have a lower micron count as opposed to like a coarser fiber. So your long wools that are a lot stronger of a fiber are going to have a higher micron count. Human hair, higher micron count. Your softer fibers, uh, angora, alpaca, you know, they're going to have a lower micron count. Um, so the lower the micron count, typically the softer the fiber is going to be. You know, just because, you know, you have alpaca doesn't mean that it's going to be super fine. The older the alpaca gets, the more coarse it gets, the more guard hair there is. Um, so that's why Korea fleeces are so sought after um, because they're so fine. Um, you know, if you're wanting to do something like creating rugs, then you're going to want to look for something that has a very strong durable fleece, like a long wool. Um, if you're wanting to do something like creating garments and wearable um, products like up next to the skin, you want to look for something that has maybe a lower micron count, a softer fiber like merino, cormo, um, even, you know, if you want just a smaller flock, like Shetlands make a good, they're a good breed for that. They don't produce as much fiber as some of your larger breeds. So that's something to consider that your yield of your fiber isn't going to be as high as a larger breed. Um, so that's kind of my question. What's a middle ground? Like what's your, your sweaters and your socks who like kind of what breeds fit in that category? I mean, there's so many different breeds that you can choose from. Um, Honestly, with processing, one of my favorite breeds to process is round me. Um, yeah. I just love working with that fiber. Um, but there's so many different breeds that I enjoy. Um, and I enjoy different ones for different reasons. Um, you know, so it just really depends. Uh, you can also do things uh, to make your fiber fun. You don't have to just go with the natural level time. We do a lot of add-ins, too. Um, you know, I can add in, like, Angelina's, Sorry Silks. Silk, bamboo, tinsel, color. It doesn't always have to just be the natural fiber of your I love that. Tell me a little bit about the micron journey. So I I am new to farming. I'm like, I bought a sheep. It's going to put out hair and my hair tends to relatively stay the same if I'm not stressed and it's falling out or something. But with a sheep, right, it's about what they're fed. Are they birthing? What's the moisture level? Tell me a little bit about some of those factors yeah. that people so, need to pay attention to. <laughs> there is a lot that goes into growing a good fleece. Um, it's not just one thing versus another. There's a lot of factors that play into it. And I would say one of the big ones first is genetics. Um, if you don't have good genetics, you're not going to be able to produce a good quality fleece. Um, environment is a big thing. Um, and maintenance, like in your barn. Um, so just simple things like not throwing hay over your fleeces. You want to keep them as clean as possible. You don't necessarily have to coat your animals in order to keep them clean. There's a lot of different practices that you can do to keep your fleeces clean. You can have the most gorgeous um, fleece in the world. And if it's vegetated, it's, you know, it's not going to make ideal yarn. So essentially um, all that wonderful machinery, it's not going to pick out every small piece of hay that you've thrown over the sheep and people should not expect that level of cleaning. <laughs> okay. yeah. So the cleaner, I always stress this, 
all the time is it starts in the barn and the cleaner you can keep those fleeces, the nicer it comes into the mill, the nicer your end product is going to be. Junk in is junk out. Yeah. So there's only so much that we can remove in the mill. The further it goes through processing, obviously the more it gets removed. Um, but at the end of the day, if I have a five or a fleece that's full of shavings and full of hay chaff, I don't really want to run it through my carting machine either. Because once that's all through, I have to go back through and pick it all out. Because right. the next person's not going to want it in theirs. So, <laughs> I, I, and it's just very hard on the equipment too. So stewarding is very important. Um, I also say, you know, if you're going to pick your fleeces, do it while it's still on the animal because it's a lot easier when it's attached. Like if you're trying to pull something out of your hair, it's attached to your head. So it's a lot easier to take out than something that's just a big fluffy cloud and all of the fluff wants to go with the stuff you're picking out. That's a so, great tip. I would not have thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Some people like with alpacas, they'll blow their alpacas out. Um, it's a lot like a groomer with a dog. They'll blow out the dogs after they're done grooming, like bathing them. Um, it's the same thing with... Um, you know, I've seen some people that will, you know, rinse their sheep and then blow them out and it really cleans them up and their fleeces are very clean. Um, some people just take a blower, blow out some of that vegetation. Uh, we do the same thing with our Angora rabbits that we raise. Um, we don't just brush them. We have the little dog blow dryers and we blow through their fleece and it really cleans it all up because you don't wash them. So it cleans a lot of that like dust and dander that might have built up in the coat, cleans it up. So the preparation before it's even shorn is very important in order to produce a good fleece. Um, so yeah, so environment, genetics, their feed, you know, if they're not fed well, if they're hungry, um, they're lacking nutrition, um, or even just something that was completely out of your control, um, like a stressful situation. They got sick, they ended up with parasites. They land and they still had their fiber on them. You traveled to a show, you know, anything like that is something that can cause a stressful situation for the animal and it can cause a stress break. So you could end up with a six inch fleece on your animal, but if you take that staple length and you pull it, It'll break right in half wherever that stressful situation happened, depending on where the growth period was on that animal. It'll break right in half, and suddenly your six-inch fleece is not six inches. It's more like four over here, and then at the base, it's two. So um, sending that through processing is going to be challenging because you have to set your machines for the length of the fiber. And where do you set that then? It's, it's not going to spin well. Right. So you're just giving an example of like one stressful event. And if there's multiples, then that's a whole guessing game. And you're kind of just up a creek without a paddle in processing. <laughs> right. So yeah. there's just, there's so many factors that go into creating a good fleece. Um, you know, it's not just one set. This is what you have to do to get a good fleece. Right. Um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work on the producer's end, the animal's part, the processor. It's a whole joint effort. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, so most of our audience is heavily into rotational grazing and holistic management and all that great stuff. So the animals are outside a lot. 
with the elements and the trees and the leaves. Do you have any tips for people who are much more um, non-barn, primarily outdoor raisers, any things that they can do? Or would you say that those wool products should just be more destined for secondary uses than fiber milling? No, not necessarily, because we keep our sheep out on pasture a lot too. Um, we do put ours in the barn, but a big thing is just pasture management. Um, if you have a lot of like burrs popping up in your pastures, get rid of them. <laughs> right. I was about to, I think we all know the dog comes back covered in burrs. We're not happy. We're all combing for hours. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they just, they make a disaster of fleeces. So, you know, just walking your pastures, knowing what's in there and then just ridding them of, you know, something that can be detrimental to your fleeces. Um, you know, there's things that sheep are going to get into. <laughs> um, and it's just, that all comes with skirting, but a big part of that is just pasture management and just making sure that you not only have, you know, your fleeces are um, maintaining, um, staying clean, but you also need to maintain a clean pasture. Okay. So that goes back to the environment. You just gotta have a clean environment, whether it's in the barn, it's outside, um, you know, it'll rain, they'll get muddy, that washes out. Um, but yeah, as far as, you know, if there's a really muddy spot, you can put straw down or something that they can bet on. Um, but just make, making sure that it's as clean as you can keep it. I love it. And there was something, as I found it, uh, when I went through my first fleeces, they were not mill ready. They were not prepared for much of anything, which is when I came across the pelletizer. So tell me a little bit about that that you've added and, you know, how that's been such a great resource for wool that didn't quite make the cut. <laughs> yeah, so with um, growing our mill, one of the things we can keep continuing to accept places that have a lot of vegetation because it's just not good for our machinery. Um, and I really don't like, you know, turning away someone because I know that it takes a lot of time and money and effort to raise these animals and produce a product. So when someone brings me fleeces and they're just fully vegetated um, or just some like, you know, there's a stress break and it's just not good for yarn might've been their end goal. Um, you know, I just, I don't like telling them, no, I can't make a product for you out of it. And I don't want them to just throw it away because I know there was money that went into that and you want to be able to turn it into something. Um, so that's how we kind of got started in our venture with the wool pelletizer um, is just being able to utilize that fiber that might not be the best for um, rovings or you know fiber arts any sort of fiber art product um, so we came across you know the fiber shed and um, a few individuals that were already starting to pelletize wool and you know went and visited them and you know we really wanted to do this because that's just something else that we can then offer to people to create a product. Um, it also kind of went along with what we already do because fertilizer is becoming harder to find. Um, and when you do get it, it's a lot more expensive. So uh, with having our fruit trees and our Christmas tree farm, it's just something else that we're able to then do for us to cut back on our costs with as well yeah. with fertilizing our trees. Maybe this would be a good time, like, because wool pellets have so many benefits of fertilizer. What are kind of some of the other uses that people are using those wool pellets for now? 
Well, the one thing is it also does really help with the water absorption for your plants um, because that wool really tends to hold the water well. Um, so it is really good, especially in areas where there's, you know, over the summer when you have drought, it also does help to retain that water for, um, because like with our tree farm, we don't have like irrigation. Um, so we aren't watering those trees. So it's just something that we've started playing around with. It does help, especially with uh, here last summer, we had a really big dry summer. So it's been helpful with that. Um, you know, people use it for their gardens, um, but so it's been something with like a lot of master gardening programs has been really promoting it. Um, so we're trying to test the waters on where it's most valued. I love it. And I, I've seen some companies starting to use it as wool insulation, which would be not quite the pelletizer version, but there's so many kind of middle yeah. ground uses of wool emerging that I'm so excited about. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that people are able to start doing with wool. So it's exciting because I feel like the wool industry needs that, yeah. um, you know, to try to help bring back, you know, some, some of the wool industry. Yes, definitely. Tell me a little bit about, so I, me and every other person who's come to your mill, this is my first time and kind of what we've gone over. What are your kind of high level tips to somebody who is saying, I'm interested in bringing it to the mill, aside from keeping it clean and keeping it good quality, are there any other tips that you would recommend to somebody just getting getting their foot in the door um, of the mill? <laughs> so it varies between mill to mill. We all have our own like set standards for accepting fiber. Um, but when you bring stuff to our mill or you ship it in, um, you can do either. Uh, when you bring it to the mill, we just um, set up an appointment time so that way we can go over it with you because I really prefer to go over it with the customer just because, you know, we get a lot of emails and it says, hey, can you spin this fleece for me? I don't know. <laughs> you know? 10,000 different variables. Let me go over that with you virtually. <laughs> right. You know, if you sent me Susie Lou's fleece um, this year and we spun it, and we saved all of the settings, and then you sent me Susie Lou's fleece next year and said, I want the same thing you did last year. Guaranteed, the settings will not be the same on the machines just because Susie Lou's fleece is different. If you didn't shear the exact time, you know, it was a different staple length or, you know, something happened with it, you know, we don't know. So there's just a lot of variables. So we prefer to have an appointment time if you're dropping off, um, just so that way we can go over it with you kind of feel like what what do you want done with it um give you suggestions if you're going to add something in different blending techniques you can do um or sometimes we suggest adding something just because the fiber itself that you're bringing might not hold up the best um and again like you know you might bring something and you might think it's great but then it's just fully vegetated so then that's when i'd be like okay well this might not be the best use for that and that's when i'd be like okay we could Pelletize it. Um, so I just like prefer to see it. One of the things we do have is a minimum uh, weight. We need four pounds in order to run any batch. So um, every batch, every run that you do in our mill, we need to have at least four pounds. Um, and then unless it's pre-washed, then we ask for six pounds. Um, we need a minimum staple length of three inches unless we're pelletizing it. Um, then it doesn't really matter because we actually shred the fiber before we pelletize it. Um, and then 
yeah, I think those are pretty much like our our guidelines that we require. And then again, just make sure, making sure that it's spirited and clean. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, if you're going to ship it to us, we do ask that you fill out one of our order forms just because we've gotten fiber before and it's just a box full of fuzz. And I'm like, who does this belong to? <laughs> that's, that's, so, that's so strange. You just open up and there's just parts of animals. And you're like, I wonder what I'm supposed to do here. <laughs> yeah. So if you're sending it even to any mail, not even just our mail, make sure you put a little note in there at least so that we know how to contact you when it arrives. Um, because when you get a box of fuzz and then the return address is like to a UPS shipping center, I have no idea how to contact you. So, yeah. Put your name on the box. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I so love those it. Those are just some basic tips on, you know. <laughs> and I'll do a kind of a fun little add-on. What are kind of some emerging trends or things you're seeing in the wool industry that are kind of draws? Like, as you say, it's changing, it's getting new life, there's new interest. What are some things that you're seeing coming that maybe farmers could be preparing or like catering to those friends? Um, you know, just trying to find different avenues, um, you know, so that way you're not wasting things. Um, you know, you, you need to really utilize everything. I know there's some companies that they do a lot of like specifically, um, all fine wools, like all merino is what they run. Um, so they're extracting all, all of the lanolin and having like lanolin products available. Um, so that way they're not just wasting all of that product in um, their wastewater, you know? Yeah. So um, another thing that we do is we utilize all of our wastewater, we capture it um, and then we neutralize it and then we spread it as fertilizer on our Christmas trees. Um, so there's really no waste there because we don't have enough of a high, we don't have a high enough content of lanolin in order to extract it because of the variety of cases that we're washing. Um, because we also do like mohair and alpaca. So we aren't consistently doing high lanolin, high grease places. Um, so we did look into that, but, um, it's more suited for companies that are really just specifically doing those merino places um but some places are doing that um you know how we're doing like the pelletizing there's other companies doing the insulation um one thing that we have started doing um is we made something called hodgepodge over time your bobbins build up and um it's all just like the end of the run mill ends um so instead of just wasting them we've started running them together so we'll ply it all together um, once our bobbins build up over time, you know, it's really not much left from each batch. We pretty much get it down to the very end for your batch. Um, but there is still a little bit left from, you know, it's just a little bit of buildup. So we start applying all of those together and then we sell it as a product called HodgePodge. Um, and people love it, you know. Yeah. So they just, it's no two skeins are alike. Um, you don't know the fiber content because it's just based on whatever we've been running in the mill. And, you know, we, we wrote up a little story that goes with it. You can see it on our website. Um, but it's just really neat because it kind of tells the story of our mill and what we've been processing. So each skein has something different. Um, and when you order it, you always get a surprise. You never really know what the skein's going to look like. It depends. Have we been running a lot of naturals? 
alpacas. Um, there might be some Angora in it. Well, are we running a lot of wolves? Sometimes there's pop of color because we've been running dyed fibers. Um, so it really just depends. But I think that's something fun that we've been doing. Just because, again, we always try to utilize everything. Um, so what somebody might have thought was waste, we turned it into a product. Um, we also do that sometimes as you're applying one of your strands might break, so then we have to pull off like where it was supposed to be three ply, you pull off where it was then two ply. Yeah. You dyed up those little tiny balls of waste. And people like to use them too just to make little odds and ends. Uh, we have somebody that makes stockings and they use that to edge their stockings. Um, so it's just it's neat. You just try to use everything you can. Um, different add-in fibers are a big thing again. Um, so yeah, just trying to always have something new. I think that's really fun because waste wool is such a, a big category too, right? Like, so finding uses and finding people that value uniqueness as opposed to like the industry has these standards. And if you don't produce wool that is within X, Y, and Z, you're up a creek without a paddle and you're not getting paid. And so I think it's just such an important middle ground of that waste wool, which has so many different things. So I always, my personal thing is always find uses for waste wool, give it a second life. Like, so you guys are finding a lot of them and I like it so much. Yeah. <laughs> we try to find different uses at all stages because it's not just, you know, you have a vegetated fleece and we're not going to run it. Um, you know, it's at all stages because there is waste created at each phase of the processing. That's another thing we do is like we save as your batch is running through our mill, we actually have a bag that travels with your fiber the entire way. Um, so there is waste from like setting the machines up. There's like these little donut hole looking things from <laughs> setting up the spinning frame. Um, there's like about a yard or two from the pin drafting where it thins out coming out of the carter. We save all that and put it in a bag and it travels with your batch the entire way through. And we put that back in with your yarn or whatever you get back um, because you know, we don't need it. And it's something that, you know, people like to make dryer balls with or use it for a needle felt thing. So it's your fiber, so we want to give it back. Yeah. So that's just something else. People like having that back. That's a really good one. And I will do the little pitch at the end that I think mills are in such a tough spot because you're dealing with all different types of fiber and all these different things like communicating with your mill, establishing that personal relationship so that they can serve you better versus just dumping a bag on them and not saying anything. I would just continue to encourage people like, you know, getting to know your farmer, get to know your mill. So Yeah. And it is, it is a working relationship too, because I know there are a lot of customers bars, especially that have um, fiber shows and they really depend on, their income that they get from those shows in order to go into the next year with their animals. So, you know, having that working relationship with your mill is good because, you know, I can't read your mind and know, oh, you have a show coming up, you need this product back. Um, so just like letting us know, making sure, you know, it's not just us that needs to get it done for you. If you have a show in May, don't come to me in April and ask to have it done. Um, you know, we do have a backlog, so, you know, just planning ahead. Some people like to send fleeces, like, every month. They like to send in fleeces for processing, so that way they're getting things back every month. Um, so it's like a planning thing. I know you only shear once or twice a year, but depending on how much you have, instead of sending 
several hundred pounds at one time, yeah. you know, you could send 100 here, 50 here, yeah. and then you get product back more regularly. So that makes sense. <laughs> it's just, you know, figuring out your market um, as the grower, um, you know, because what might work for you might not work for the next person. Um, so if you have certain shows all throughout the year, getting product back every few months as opposed to once a year might work better for you. Um, but it just depends. So I love it. Tell me a little bit about where people can find you. So anybody within the Virginia area or West Virginia, lower Pennsylvania, how can they find you for people who are in your neck of the woods? So we are located in Harrisburg area um, in central Pennsylvania. Um, you can stop by our farm. <laughs> all, all of our information is on our website at bluemountainfarms.net, just with an S. Um, or you can give us a call. Our number is 717-599-7665. Um, you can shoot us an email at shawfamily@bluemountainfarms.net. Um, and there's a lot of information on our website that is helpful, but you're always welcome to reach out to us. Um, we do have people that stop by and they just want to, you know, see our farm stores, see our mills, see what we have going on before they send stuff. And that's fine too. Um, you know, we're all about educating. Um, we think that the more educated customers are, the more educated growers are, you know, the easier that's going to make our job. <laughs> so, and it is important to also, you know, just make people aware of, you know, how important agriculture is to their everyday life. Um, even those that aren't involved in agriculture, because you would be very surprised on how little the average person knows how much agriculture affects their life. So we're just very much about educating. So you're always welcome to reach out to us and we're all about that, so. <laughs> Great. I will drop links in the comments for everybody and whether it's Blue Mountain Farms or somebody else, just I highly recommend reaching out and getting to know your mill and starting a great relationship. <laughs> Thank absolutely. you so much, Ashley. I appreciate all the information. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me.